the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Hello and welcome to the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and today with me, by no surprise, we have Paul Gosling. How are you? Hi, Jared. Same as usual. <laughs> Good stuff. So, on the 18th of September, as part of Good Relations Week, we held a review of our Forward Together podcast where we had a panel discussion um, looking at all the themes that have come out through our podcast. And this is the third of four review uh, podcast episodes. So, Paul, we're looking this time at which of the themes? Looking at the legacy from the past, the question is, how should we deal with the past while promoting reconciliation? Okay. So what we're going to hear now are snippets from some of the interviews that we held um, as part of our podcast, and that'll be immediately followed by the panel discussion at the event on the 18th of September. And the panel was made up on the day of uh, Julianne Campbell from Museum of Free Dairy, Paul Gosling, of course, uh, Maureen Hetherington from The Junction, and Dennis Bradley. You know, the area that I have, I suppose, expertise in is around mental health and addiction. And the way I see it is that often people are united in, can be can be united in pain, trauma, emotional pain. Um, and we all know, particularly um, within the six counties, you know, people have been impacted by the conflict. And, you know, the trauma that comes out of that. Um, and how that can be carried on down to the generations and the legacy of it. I don't think we can just simply draw a line under the past, but it's how do we create the situation where we don't endlessly pour uh, over uh, the past, but we don't glibly pass over the past uh, either, because uh, the past is still leaves a very real sense uh, of grievance uh, for people, and it's not just those people who are directly affected or who carry from uh, their own injury or their own uh, bereavement, but also as a society, these questions of the past throw up issues uh, about distrust and account and evasion that actually affect people's attitude to current uh, politics and to current political players uh, as well. So uh, we shouldn't pretend that, oh, the past is another place and we're concentrated on the new place we're going to uh, that is the future. So we do have to have ways of doing that. Eames Bradley uh, pointed out that it wouldn't be a case of one size uh, fits all. Recognise something that I, you know, had long argued that people have different needs in terms of acknowledgement, uh, remembrance, uh, accountability uh, or uh, justice and we should have measures for dealing with the past that uh, facilitate those uh, in different ways. My own preferred way forward would have been to go back to the, uh, I think it was 2009, and the uh, consultants group on the past report, uh, Robin Eames and Dennis Bradley's report, I think it was the best. And I think every time we've gone out for consultation since that, we've come back with something which is considerably less than what we had before. Uh, so I think that this latest, uh, this dormitized agreement, and certainly the legacy aspects of that, are probably the last time that we'd go to the people. One thing that really struck me in, in my work as Minister of Justice when I was meet, meeting a lot of victims and their families was that the trauma from what had happened and 
trauma is such a big part of conflict and I think it's appalling that as a post-conflict society we have never even considered how we deal with our trauma and still aren't 20 years later um, but that trauma seems to get passed from generation to generation and if we're genuinely going to reconcile we have to kind of break that trauma at some point The society that is still emerging from conflict I think we must collectively not allow ourselves uh, to make the same political mistakes and failure of governance that we've done in the past Uh, and in that regard I think um, we should not allow those mistakes uh, those political failures um, to be repeated but sadly I believe that we are at the moment And rewriting history is one of the greatest dangers of the position we're in at the moment And it does seem to be what's happening the whole time Absolutely. Every time I pick up a newspaper, it confronts me. And every time I hear a speech, it confronts me. Mm. It's the parallel process of denial current reality and rewriting past events. Absolutely. You put your finger on it. And I think there is an integrated connection between those two, which I believe takes you to the truth of the matter. So, Julianne, go to yourself. Um, one of the things that you talked about whenever we interviewed you was the importance of listening and acknowledging. Um, how do we move from simply acknowledging to addressing things together collectively? Well, whoever it was said that, that unless we address the trauma, it's exactly right. You know, you can do as much as you want, peace-building-wise, but unless you're getting under the nitty-gritty, then it's just going to perpetuate itself. So, um, Although I would do storytelling and there's loads of really valuable projects that you do great work up here and giving people a voice, where's the voices going? You know, are they leading on their wider narrative? Are they are they ticking boxes somewhere and getting forgotten about? You need to actually do something with them. But I do think that the process of owning your experience and telling it and acknowledging that this happened to you and sharing that with a wider audience, I think that in itself is, is a, of great importance and catharsis for whoever's involved in it on all sides but um, it needs to lead to a wider conversation because all that great work's been done but who's listening to what the stories are saying who's listening to the points of these people who have been traumatized by the past and they probably know far more than any of us except no one's asking them so it needs to have a follow-on you can't just ask and put it in the book or close the book Mm. you know it needs to it needs to be going and a wider conversation Dennis, the work that you've done in the past was referred to by a couple of people. I didn't deliberately pick those out. It, it does reflect of the conversations that we had. A lot of people referred to the consultative group of um, the past work. Um, and see it, a lot of people also say they see it as a live document, which is something which I think is incredible because most reports from on the past go on the ACL and don't give up that again. Do you see, you, it's been echoed in other agreements since and storm of toys and stuff. The process worth revisiting, do you think, or just deliver storm and twice? I don't know if I'm good on this anymore. I've kind of come to a point in myself where I find it even difficult to talk about. I think it was a missed opportunity. I think the opportunity was there to deal with it. I think the report we did was a good report. I think it stood the test of time. I think that, generally speaking, it it, it, it holds up very well. It delivers on most. It, it it's it's a holistic approach 
rather than the piecemeal that we deal, deal with. It takes it out of the criminal justice system, which really can't deal with it, and yet has been bogged down now, day and daily, by it, uh, and shouldn't really be in there. Uh, it's into the politics of it, even though it should be out of it. Um, people said that, you know, foolishly, in my opinion, said, although I, I don't blame them for this, if you're, if you're only watching it every every once a month or once every year or so forth, you're going to say things and you're going to get impressions. But the truth of the matter is it, it didn't go on to, it actually is on the shelf. That's what the press is right? It is on the shelf. That's what, I'm, what I wanted to say. Uh, it's, it's, it's gathering dust. Apart from the fact that it is actually more or less within the, within the Stormont House Agreement, you know, some of the most of the material, sorry, a lot of the stuff is in there. What is not in there, in my opinion, is the simplicity of delivery, and that's what worries me greatly. Even if the, I mean, if the good, if the Stormont House stuff went into operation, became live, I would be very grateful and very, very appreciative of that. But what worries me in it is the is the governance of it, because. They have allowed political parties to be the governors of a whole lot of this material. And I think that itself is a major, major blunder. I mean, I had, I simplistically say things like, we had a long time of thinking and pondering how many people would govern the, all the different uh, aspects and arms of dealing with the past. And we came up with three, and I was worried about three were too many. We're now talking in the Stormont House about 30 or 40 or 50 people. You know, and that just is nightmares. But apart from all of that, I just wanted to say that people say things like, you know, oh, it was the £12,000 recognition money that uh, made it not happen, and, and a few other things that it was this made it not. That's, none of that is true. What is true is that the politics didn't grab it. Uh, and the politics didn't grab it, and the only politics in, in being at the time was the Irish government, sorry, the British government, because the Irish government did not take part in it. That was a major mistake, perhaps on our part. Perhaps we shouldn't have done the work without the involvement of the Irish government. Because what happened within the British government was that there was two points of view. One point of view was we have to do this, we have to grab it, even though difficult it might be. The other was don't touch, it, don't touch this with a barge pole. And the don't touch it with a barge pole won out. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, we're still living with it. And that's, I, mean, I don't know how many years ago, is it nearly 15 or 20 years ago? I can't remember. Uh, but we're, 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 we're not alone, not out of it. It's kind of become contaminated now. You know, there's no, at least in the report, there was a bit of a purity, a bit of purity and a bit of aspiration and a bit of hope and you do this and you do this and then after five years, you know, you come to an end. Right, and that that meets all needs in the sense that it meets the needs of the victims in as far as you can meet those needs. It meets the needs of uh, institutions in as far as you can meet those needs, and it meets the, the the needs of the broader society, which needs to move past the past uh, in as way in as in as well as it can with a bit of dignity and so forth, having having done its best, and it particularly. I mean, there was all kinds of recommendations. For example, there was a recommendation that £100 million go into the trauma area. Right? doesn't get referred to very often, but there was a £100 million. And actually, one of our fears was that there was big disputes between the statutory side who were already dealing with some of the trauma and the voluntary side who were dealing with trauma. 
and we put in a recommendation that nobody could get the money unless they went there hand in hand. And every statutory one had to have a voluntary side to it, and every voluntary one had to have a statutory side to it, because there was already infighting amongst the voluntary and the and anybody who works around the health area will recognize that there is big distance and big gaps between statutory and voluntary. Not always good on the voluntary side, not always good on the statutory side. So I, I, I despair that it's not going to happen, it's getting worse to some degree. Uh, people have discovered that the way to get some recognition, some, some inroad to all of this is to go through the coroner's courts. And of course, that's really... The coroner's courts are not what they used to be. People don't understand this. Coroner's courts are now many tribunals. Because the question now is not when and where. It is also now how. And once you ask that question how, you are into a whole months and months and months. So every coroner's court, and they're piling up, and they're piling up, and they're piling up. And we're going to be left with this legacy for the next 20, 30 years. Um, and the, what really is disturbing is that the two governments keep saying we're engaging the local politicians in this process. And the local politicians cannot and will not deal with it. It has to be the two governments. And the two governments could have cleared this patch of land in the last three years because we didn't have any local politicians, right? And yet they've allowed it, allowed all of us to go on and they've done now another major consultation by sailing out and they get all these, these responses back. So it's very depressing for everybody in my opinion. It doesn't help uh, the, 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 the likeness of our political society and it doesn't uh, help the likeness of our social society. And I don't see anything that's great if this, if the, if the uh, Storm and Hooks Agreement gets into being and does happen, you know, that would be better than nothing, but it also has deep, deep, deep flaws in it. Yeah, uh, slightly uh, at a remove from what Dennis was just saying there. I thought listening to that where we heard Robin Eames, Dennis Bradley, and also with the former Justice Minister Claire Sugden, it was actually very useful that we actually were able to speak to the people that were most relevant to what had happened. And uh, I was very pleased that uh, there's only one person who declined to be interviewed, which was Mervyn Story. There was one person, Peter Robinson, who in the end failed to reply to the request. And there was Mervyn Gibson who agreed in principle but was never able to be tied down. But broadly, everyone that we approached to be interviewed agreed and did it. So that, I think, is really helpful, really useful. Where there is a weakness going forward, one of the weaknesses going forward, is the absence of effective counselling services, the lack of uh, counsellors to be available to the people who need them. That is one of the great problems we've got as a society. One of the other great problems we've got as a society is the way the troubles are taught or not taught in schools. And that's something that I've heard from pupils. And it's interesting in the context of the current um, Spotlight documentary series that actually some people are saying, but we don't want to hear the history because that will simply regurgitate it, make it re real again. And it's better that we don't think about it, don't talk about it, don't deal with it, which for me is completely the wrong approach. I think that we need to understand, especially given some of the 
the threats that are around at the moment. But within the exam system, you know, there's no space to teach about things about humanity and the, 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 the violence and the trauma. Yet when you see school pupils speaking with people who were severely disabled during the troubles, who, who were the, the, continue to be in wheelchairs 30 years later and things like that, then the school children are really touched by what they hear, what they see, and that influences them. Yet there's no structure which that happens. But the other thing is that I think we perhaps have to reconsider one important aspect, which is it feels to me as if we have said we have to accept there were different narratives to what happened in Troubles. That there is the Republican narrative and there's the Loyalist narrative, Stroke Union's narrative, and we have to recognise that different people have got different perceptions, different perspectives. But perhaps, perhaps that's wrong. Perhaps we need to actually do much more of what's going on with Spotlight, which is to actually call it as it is and not have you know, this, this subjectivity about what happened in the past. And I think that's at the very least a question that we need to have because I hear a, a leader Republican, quite a few in fact, say, well, we were members of Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association, but I then speak to people who are members of the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association saying, no, they weren't there. So, you know, maybe we do actually need to interrogate a bit more about this so that we've got something more objective, more real there. Maureen, mm. on that, there's a couple of projects you're involved in. The, the, people have referred to the past and how you remember it, and the need for accuracy around that, and how it's taught and remembered. And I'm thinking of the Anthony Gontier project that you're involved in. But also, uh, Robin Eames in particular was talking about honesty and the need for honesty, and it touches on what mm. you're saying there. And I'm thinking of the testimony series uh, yeah. through towards understanding here, healing. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to talk about those for a couple of months? Yeah, I suppose for me, when Claire Sugden said, you know, <coughs> trauma, nobody's been dealing with it, and you know, the difficulties around it. You know, I don't know where she's, what planet she's coming from, because I think by and large, it's been the community sector um, that has been holding people together, holding community. I'm looking at people in the room here that have hugely contributed to the healing and as she said, Julie, the catharsis that comes from sharing your story. Absolutely, Paul, counselling, there's not enough and there's there's queues and, and people can't be seen to and there's I mean, so many people have been injured, 40,000 plus. They're the, from, from what I understand, there's not a huge amount of people that actually need one-to-one -one therapy. Mostly, uh, people will uh, recover if they're in group processes because part of the trauma is where you uh, dissociate yourselves uh, from uh, other activities. You know, you can lock yourself away or whatever, but and, and the re-engagement in the wider circle and the re-engagement with other people, you can see that you're not alone. You can identify with people and the commonalities that you might share, and that goes beyond the labels. And that's part of the healing and also reconciliation. So the work that Julianne has been doing, you know, around those storytelling uh, and the, the opportunities for people to hear testimony. I mean, a lot of people would say that they're traumatized or they've been affected badly, but the engagement in the larger room has been hugely cathartic. Uh, and that's what they have needed to be heard, to, to have their voices heard. I suppose when I say a wee bit too about how we define trauma, it's a, it's a hugely misused word. You know, we're hugely resilient. Um, there's traumatic stress, there's post-traumatic stress disorder, there's levels of stress, 
and there's certainly post-traumatic stress, but we need to understand how the wider community suffered. But mostly uh, people had to, you know, just put the head down and get on day and daily. Um, lots of people lived on Valium. You know, there used to be a joke, instead of going next door to borrow sugar, you'd go and borrow the Valium from next door. But, you know, the reality of how that's all seen, um, and I do think that, you know, the community sector in my experience, um, the people who've created groups so that people might come and share and benefit from thinking that they're not the only person, they're not alone, they don't have to walk about the house one woman hitting her head up a wall, uh, and it was really important for her to get out to meet others. Just to get out when one woman says, you know, my significant other is my cat. When I go home, my husband was killed and my company, the other heartbeat in the house was my cat. Mm -hmm. And she said, all I want to do is get out there and talk to other people. You know, keep me sane. And I'm, you know, the numbers. So the testimony was, uh, you know, giving people opportunity to hear stories that never, they would never otherwise hear given the segregation. For people to connect at the human level, and we, you know, uh, Damon Gorman sort connect at the human and emotional detail of what is going on. And uh, Damon set up Anne Cran, the tree, and that was about hearing stories that people wouldn't otherwise hear. And as a result of the work with Damon towards understanding and healing was actually set up. So he'd probably be the best man to talk to. He's going to hate me for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast. I think the idea of dealing with the past somehow needs to be detached from the past. Otherwise, and I think this is what's happened, it's become a continuation of the conflict by other means. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And now, I easily say this, but if we can somehow reframe it as a way of dealing with the future, and I did some work in Dublin with people who have been abused, obviously with all the scandals over there. The dominant thing that came from some of those individuals was that they were being heard for the first time. It, it, it almost wasn't the case of sending old men to jail, although lots of old men have gone to jail, but it, it was, for them it wasn't as if that was the objective. It was the acknowledgement. The value was I was heard. Mm. I hadn't been heard. I've been heard, and you started off then saying talking is really important in this case, it might need to become more important. And one point just you just made is, is just dead right. But that validation mm. of your experience, even if it doesn't result in some sort of criminal prosecution of another person, I mean some people might still want that, but it seems to me the centre of this is that process of making sure somehow it is not a continuation of the conflict by any means and that it's actually about a projection of the future. It's the same mistake people make about heritage, as if it's about the past. But that couldn't have happened in North, that couldn't have happened with Northern Ireland, you're absolutely right, but that can't happen in Northern Ireland without unless the two governments decide it's about the future. Mm. What I mean by that is, you know, the governments, for example, the two governments decided that policing was a major, major problem in Northern Ireland, but the future was going to be different from the past. Mm. So they set up the structures and they put the money into place to make it happen. Uh, and the amount of talking and the amount of engagement, political engagement, and when people, when the, when the opposition came, they withstood the opposition. In other words, they stood there and said, no, this is still going on. What happened when the, when the past came was when the opposition came, it blew them away and they gave out. Now, there was only one government to stand there. Had there been both governments to stand there and say, no, 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 hold on here, right? 
the problem at the time was that the Irish government basically was disengaged from everything because of the economic situation, really had no interest. I pleaded with him on my knees before the thing happened. I do, and for Da Vinci's one I said, do not let this one go, right? But they let it go. They sent an observer, but they didn't engage. And when it came to the real crunch, when that moment came, I mean, there was all kinds of ways. For example, what I expected to happen on the morning of all the kind of the uproar and so forth was that the British government said, well, we're putting those difficult ones aside, but we're getting on with the rest of it and we'll look at them at the end. That's what you do with a difficult report in politics. You take three or four the night before the, we actually went public. I thought there were five areas that could be explosive. One of them was just money, but the other one, for example, was we had a very strong thing about uh, rescinding all the, the, the uh, past, what do you call them, the people who'd been to jail, that they would actually be free, that they would be expunged, is the word I'm looking for, right? Well, pardon me, they would be expunged, that they're things so that, I mean, it's still going on. People can't get jobs at times because of their records, right? Even though there was a very strong recommendation from Hamilton and I can't remember who else there was, a, there was a report. But I'm only just making the point that you're absolutely right, but our problem was, and the problem was that the politics of the two governments at the time had disengaged from the situation. And a lot of our weakness actually come from that disengagement. They didn't do it for bad purposes, may I say. They did it in the sense that they said, oh, these people need to mature in Northern Ireland, they need to be able to run their own bellywick and so forth. They did it on those grounds, but in withdrawing, they, they disengaged emotionally. And in disengaging emotionally, they let a lot of things happen that had they stood up to them and driven them on, we could have possibly got to the next date. We did it with policing. Took a lot of money. We did it with we did it with disarmament. Right? One of the most difficult things. We pushed it forward. People said no. People said no. People said no. And we pushed it and we pushed it and we pushed it politically. And a whole lot of other areas we did it with, right? But we a couple of bit, particularly the past one. And I think the reason for that, really, apart from my my analysis of the politics of it, is that there's something about that. Oh, well, maybe it'll go away. There's a little bit of that underneath it. You know, maybe it'll go away. You know, policing it won't go away. You know, disarmament won't go away. Maybe the past will go away, right? And that's a misunderstanding, empathetic misunderstanding of a situation which is kind of psychological and politics doesn't do psychology incredibly well. Yeah, all that type of thing. That's but a good bit I, of that too. Good I, bit I, of that too. Everything we're talking about is time sensitive in terms of dealing with the past because mm. everyone that I work with is of a certain age and they're very, very concerned that they don't want to pass these family traumas. In some cases, that they never even spoke to their own family, their own children about what happened, but they told us for a book. And we didn't go out and look for it, we just asked, tell us your story, you know. But uh, these people are, are getting of a certain age, or they're dying, and all the parents of the time are all dead. And there's there's a great feeling out there that, that the government are, are almost letting it last this long, so all the people involved will die off, yeah. and then it'll be not so, not so big a problem anymore. Whereas it actually needs dealt with now, so it doesn't pass down to the likes of us, and then we think, thanks for that, you know. Because we're trying to do something proactive about it, we don't want to be bogged down by it, you know. I, I think in those two instances we were talking about education and, and the need for absolute massive reform in education and ways of looking at the past and how the past dealt with, to show the 
what some uh, sermons would say is uh, pragmatic. We, we, we don't place that to the virus pool, so let's do what's possible. Mm. Rather than doing what is necessary, and of course by not dealing with it, that they made it a lot worse. Mm-hmm. They made both those areas almost impossible to deal with that. Mm. They're brushing everything under the carpet, some big carpet. <laughs> okay. my, my, my feeling about politics in Northern Ireland generally is that the politicians focus on the things that they want to do, not on the things that they have to do. Yes, that's a great point. Okay, we hope you enjoyed the third installation of our, or the third episode um, of our review process. Um, thank you for listening and thank you to the Community Relations Council for funding this podcast. Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.